Rowan of Shalecross, Oren Elaine, Klaus Ashworth, Claude Von Der, Soldier of Roth, Traitor of Nyx, Kin of the Ebon Mist, Hunter of Frights. So many words, so many symbols, so many sounds I hide behind. What will remain of me in that darkest moment, that silent space where action defies description? Who will I be when the words fail? From Elderblade Productions, this is Echoes of Exeason, Season 2, Episode 1, Cages and Birds. Leona, ten years old, with black hair and brownish, green-speckled eyes. Her favorite thing was to play pirates. On the outskirts of her family's cabin, there was a rivulet, over which she'd pushed a couple logs together, calling it a ship. She ran up and down the logs now, swinging a stick sword and making cannon sounds as she threw apples at invisible foes. I watched her from a distance, smiling. She'd make a good salamander. One of the apples bounced across the grass and stopped near my feet. Beams of summer sunlight through the trees caught the morning dew on its skin. I bent down to pick it up, twinging at the pain from my still-healing torso. I brought the apple to her. In the midst of the bloody battle, Leona caught my eye. She dropped her stick and leapt off the logs into my arms. Vonder! she cried out. Before I could protest, she slammed into my chest. My raw ribs flared in anguish. I tried to quell the pain with a grunt as I quickly set Leona down. My, Leona, if we aren't just getting bigger every day! Oblivious to my pain, Leona took my hand and dragged me excitedly to her vessel. See my boat, Vonder? It's just like the one from your stories. The ones with Sharna and Fitz and Obdidian. Obsidian. Obdidian and Merriweather. We're fighting a Kraken, wanna see? Oh, I'm afraid I can't stay long, Little Whisper. Perhaps next time. Leona looked crestfallen, then perked up. Are you going to find Father today? I sighed, searching for the right words. Something to tell those wide, forested eyes that could bring a glimmer of hope. As had been the case for the last three months, I came up short. I'm working on it, Leona, I promise. Leona kicked out a stone by her feet. A gentle breeze swayed the grass, and her body swayed with it. You said you knew where to find him. You said he was with the salamanders. 
Her words put a vice around my heart. How could I explain it to her? What answer would suffice? For three months I had been searching for any sign of the Maroon Lagoon, where I'd last left Nyx following our escape from Sunscape. But pirates are not known for leaving trails, nor are they known for their safety. Charmed as I was by Sharna and her crew, they were rogues, and they lived a rogue's life. Anything could have happened to them since then. Storms, sea monsters, enemy ships. They could have been arrested by the Tashalan Imperium, or attacked by the Warden's thralls. But none of that would help Leona. In my time visiting her and her mother Zara, I had come to learn the extent of their memories in the wake of my breach of Isolde's contract. There was no recollection of that fateful night with the Inquisitor and myself. Instead, they both simply woke up one morning and found Nyx missing. The time in between seems to have been filled in with vague, patchwork history. Zara sold fletched arrows and animal pelts and shale cross. Leona was taught the ways of the world by her mother and played in between. A realistic enough picture albeit dull enough to keep either of them from questioning it. That is, until I came along. I shook my head, partly to avoid Leona's questioning gaze. My mouth fumbled for a response. I... Young lady, you know good and well why it's taking your father so long. I turned to see Zara approaching us. She hiked up the hill towards the tree line her long red hair trailing like a royal banner in the wind. Slung across her back was a rucksack filled with food. Vegetables, dried meats, bread and cheese. Enough to keep them both fed for a week. Zara smiled brightly at her daughter. She did not acknowledge me. Your father is searching all across Exeser to find you the perfect gift. He doesn't want to come back empty-handed. Not after being gone for so long. I... I just miss him so much, Leona said, tears welling in her eyes. Zara set the rucksack down with a grunt and knelt in front of her daughter. She brushed Leona's hair out of her face and embraced her. I know, little whisper. Your father feels so bad about having to leave, but there was a big important job he had to do that was going to make us a lot of money. And it's almost done, and then he's going to come back and it will be so exciting. Remember all those letters he sent you? Y yeah Leona wiped her tears away. In the last one, Father said he saw some kickthays. Kickthays, that's right. You know what? I have to go into town soon. Why don't you write him back and I'll take your letter with me? You can tell him about your pirate ship. The SS Apple Gun! Leona bounced up and down. Okay. Okay, run along now, dear, said Zara. The two of us watched Leona race down the hill towards the cabin. As she left, a cloud passed over the sun, and my skin prickled at the tension between Zara and I. How much longer? She said tersely. There's been some word out of Oryusk. Sightings of a mixed-race crew... My people are talking to the locals, corroborating how much longer. Zara met my eyes at last. They were blue and frigid as hail. 
I cannot keep lying to my daughter, Von Der. I can't keep lying to myself. I understand. No, I don't think you do. In a swooping motion, Zara took the apple from my hands and walked away from me, deeper into the forest. I followed her. When Nyx left us, it was the worst pain I'd ever felt. It was as if my soul had been imprisoned on some desert island. And Leona, having to hold her tight in those early days, trying to make up some story as to why her father abandoned us. There is no greater torture. But we survived. We hardened, we grew past it. We sewed up the wound and we soldiered on. And then you came along. We reached a small hill, pockmarked with jutting, moss-covered stones. The hill overlooked a small ravine, beyond which the forest sprawled out and darkened before us. Zara climbed the stones, apple still in hand. Claude Von Der, like something out of a fairy tale. You tell us something's wrong, that what we thought had happened didn't, that it's all been a lie. You tell us we're in danger, but you can't tell us more. And then you say you can find my husband, Leona's father. I meant what I... Aiden's hands, I thought you were insane at first. Zara scaled the hill and stood atop it, gazing out at the scenery. After a moment, she looked down at me. But then you showed me your door. Your weapons, that mark on your arm. You brought us food. You seemed kind. I chose to believe you. I wanted to believe you, Von Der. To believe you could be the one to set us free. But instead... With all her might, Zara hurled the apple into the ravine. The apple sailed through the air until it crashed against something unseen. It exploded, and the air above the ravine rippled and distorted. A plume of smoky shadows curled out from the impact, swallowing the remains of the apple, then dissipated. Zara lingered on the sight, then returned her gaze to me. It's just another prison. I broke eye contact, staring listlessly into the distance. The person I'm trying to find, the one who would harm you both, she will know where to find you if you are in the world. The only way to ensure your safety until I can deal with her is to keep you here in the ebon mist. Zara nodded along, arms crossed. She'd heard it all before. And you can't tell me who it is or what she wants with us. Because it would increase the risk of her... Nor can you tell me who you work for or why you care so scorching much in the first place. Nor can you tell me how much of our lives since Nyx left has actually happened. Nor can we leave this little playground you've created. Do you know what I do when I go into town? I come out here and hide from my daughter. For hours. Then I bring the little bags of food you send us inside and act like it's nothing. This isn't a life, Von Der. Shame reddened my face. I forced myself to look up at Zara, to take stock of all that I'd broken. I'd taken this woman's family, her life, perhaps even her sanity before the end. My true face was still concealed to her. 
A stranger doing this to her was bad enough. What would she say if she knew who I really was? That Nix and I knew each other all too well, before I led that monster to him. And what if I never found Nix, or the Inquisitor? What if I died before I made this right? Had I risked everything to save them from death, only to give them a far worse fate? A half-life as caged birds, subsiding on empty hope? Give me one more month, I pleaded. If you want to leave after that, I will let you go and never bother you again. Zara held my gaze, weighing my words carefully. Finally, she nodded. One more month, she said quietly. I want my husband back. I want our life back. But not like this. I helped Zara climb down the hill. We walked back in silence towards the cabin. As we breached the tree line, I felt a sudden warmth pulsing from my raven dust pouch. Stepping away from Zara, I opened the pouch and extracted the raven. It hopped onto my finger and stared up at me with its glassy black eyes. Von der, Isolde's voice intoned through the raven's mouth. How are your wounds healing? So kind of you to ask, Isolde, I said sarcastically. There was only one reason why she would care. It's coming along, but I'm not out of the woods yet. You will have to make do. There's an assignment for you. I bristled at the thought. This would be my first assignment since Everwake. The first under my new terms with Isolde, as a bounty hunter of frights. Does it involve... one of yours? I asked. I do not know. We have a very special client. I looked behind me to ensure I had enough distance from Zara. I leaned in close to the raven and whispered, Isolde, with all due respect, you know how much is on my plate. If it's not specifically related to our contract, can't one of your other agents handle it? I considered that. But you might make an exception here. The case involves a certain kikte you've been dying to meet. My heart skipped a beat. How? Is he the... Pack your things and go to the city of Mira, Vonder. Your client will be expecting you at the royal manor. Wear something nice. The raven crumpled into dust in my hands. I poured the dust into my pouch and cinched it up. I turned to Zara who was carrying the rucksack of food into the cabin. Leona was calling for her to come look at the letter she was writing her father. Zara and I met eyes one last time before she went inside. One month, Vondaire, they seemed to say. One more month. A pair of kikte wings ripped through the air amidst a barrage of lights and music. The crowd thundered. Eight thousand people filled the seats of the Oratia, all of them possessed by the magic on the stage. Rava Dita Sokenos, the hunger of the gods. An opera retelling of the legends of the old gods before the rise of Adenism. A band of players in divine regalia, with voices so unearthly they seemed immortal. 
and high above them all, swimming through the open sky in robes of silk and gold, was the lead player, Storm Dreamer. The Kitte looked like something from a fairy tale. His frame was lithe and taut. Manicured feathers dyed black and blue made his wings seem more like a cape made from patches of midnight. The outer edges of his brow tilted upward, atypical for a Kitte. On another, this might cause him to look strange, ugly even. But his confidence, aided by some expert makeup, made him look instead like something born from the ether, beautiful and dangerous. Storm Dreamer flit across the air above the massive stage. The Oratia was an outdoor theater, built on the bank of the River of Victory that flowed through the city of Mira. The stage was a massive barge floating on the water, upon which a dreamland was built, a scene of newborn Exar, our world. It seemed whimsical, yet violent in its infancy. Floating rocks carved from flats and plaster, pools of water dyed and underlit to look like lava. Mist, gobos, and colored gels painted the stage to look like something feral and unstable. And looming above it all, a story's tall statue of Zokin, the God Forge, depicted as an aged blacksmith. His stomach was an open, blazing kiln through which new gods were birthed into existence. Remarkable, yes? came the voice to my left. I turned to my date for the evening. Queen Hannah Songwake, of the Kingdom of Wrath. She sat beside me in a plush velvet armchair in our private balcony. She was flanked by half a dozen guards. Her face held a casual amusement at the spectacle, the kind that comes from a lifetime of exposure to such things. Queen Songwake was in her early forties. New to the crown, having only taken the mantle two years ago when her mother Matilda passed, her hooded, chestnut eyes were creased with tiredness, or perhaps the burden of leadership. Outside of that, she looked as though she belonged on stage with the other gods, clad in a purple lace evening gown with a half-cape around the left shoulder, with a ruby-gold dagger slung across her waist. Her black hair was done up in an intricate series of braids and twists. Three diamond piercings lined both cheekbones, with fine henna tattoos trailing beneath each down her smooth, copper-toned face. Unlike anything I've ever seen, Your Grace, I said. Your city is truly blessed with talent. Amantesino, she replied. It was Rothian fur, I know it well. Lady Songwake's eyes shifted to me. I will take you backstage after the performance to meet the players. Your Grace is too kind. My eyes fixed again on Storm Dreamer. He was now perched atop Zuckin's shoulder, fighting off dozens of winged, haggard demons flying out of the Godforge. He played the Veilman, a mortal who dared steal an ember of Zuckin's flame and consumed it, ascending to godhood. It was a moving performance. Storm Dreamer's face was a mosaic of brashness and defiance. Yet there was also a haunting in his eyes, a dawning awareness of the line he had crossed. It is the least I can do, said Queen Songwake. None of this would be here had it not been for your intervention during the Everwick crisis. 
I felt my ribs twinge with pain as I remembered. It had been three months since my battle with Ananias on Bladefang Mountain. Isolde's network of spies had informed her that all of the dignitaries put to sleep by the demon's teeth had since been revived. Nothing further had become of the nightmare cult. The enthralled Urso were sleeping peacefully once more, though the elders of Urzai were perplexed as to why the temple had been defaced. I continued to search for Kuga Gra Konak, who was currently in the wind. Isolde wanted him brought in, believing he would endeavor to revive the operation elsewhere. But she had not been there with him that day, as I had. She had not seen the sorrow on his face, the regret. He would continue to chase his sleep, that was certain. But I had a feeling his days of consorting with frights were behind him. As for my other project, Storm Dreamer continued to be my only lead. People from all across Exeser flocked to see him, especially now that travel between the borders had loosened post-wartime. I could only hope one of them was the Inquisitor, the Draelish commander who plagued my past and future. It was Kismet, then, that this assignment came to us mere days prior, a request for the Ebon Mist's aid from none other than the Queen of Roth herself. I shrugged at Queen Songwake with a humble smile. I was simply doing my job, Your Grace, as I will for you, so long as your intentions align with those of the Ebon Mist. The Queen grimaced. I could tell she was not used to people placing conditions on meeting her needs. Her eyes narrowed, and she replied with a barbed precision to her words. You have reason to doubt the integrity of helping me. Perish the thought, I said, with a chuckle that I hoped appeared natural and relaxed. It's just that our agency is committed to a higher purpose, one that few in Exeser have had the burden of understanding. Queen Songwake smiled as I spoke, a little too widely. I suddenly felt like a mouse trying to patronize a panther. When I finished, she placed her right arm on her armrest and propped her chin up with her thumb and forefinger. Her shoulder cape slinked behind the armrest, revealing her forearm. A flare of light burst from the stage, illuminating the house just enough for me to catch sight of the mark on her forearm. A burn scar in the shape of the sword and smoke, the symbol of the ebon mist. I am no fleeting whisper, Mr. Vander. I have seen many years, and full ones at that. There is a reason I commissioned this opera. There are truths in this world that most would prefer to keep hidden, or erase entirely. The old gods are one, the frights are another. When my generals slept for months on end, my healers called it a new disease. I knew better. Ancient powers were at work, and are again. That is why I called out to Isolde, to you. I know your purpose, the price of your employer's aid. Three days of starvation at the foot of the mist door, chanting your charming little motto. I paid it willingly, and I will thank you to respect that as your client.
I nodded in deference. My apologies, your grace. I meant no disrespect. No one ever does, once they are proven wrong. Queen Songwake looked back at one of her guards and flicked a wrist. The guard stepped forward, handing her a stack of vellum scrolls. The queen sorted through them, then handed me one. I pulled loose the twine cords binding the scroll, and started to unfurl it. Tell me, Mr. Vander, what do you know of the massacre of Widow's Ridge? The words struck a strong chord in me. I had a passing knowledge of the Candlelight War before my pact was broken. With the memories of my involvement in the war returned, however, I felt all too familiar with the battle she mentioned. It was an incursion attempt by the Draelish, I said. After they'd taken Ur, they attempted to find a path around Roth's northern mountain ranges, so they could mount a surprise attack. Widow's Ridge was the safest route, and it was undefended save for a token deployment. They were outnumbered twenty to one, yet something happened there that wiped out both the Draelish and the Rothians. No one knows what. It's one of the war's greatest mysteries. I looked at the scroll. It was a crude charcoal drawing of Widow's Ridge, the day of the battle. Strewn about the narrow mountain path were hundreds of corpses. Human, Draelish, felled horses and war dogs. Most appeared to have been struck in the back by some kind of long weapon. Spears? Arrows? The Draelish soldiers were piled on top of each other, two by two, marching towards the humans. Taken from above, I thought, and by surprise. Hovering in the sky, above the corpses, was a strange black ball. It was difficult to make it out specifically, as the charcoal muddied the image. It looked to be about the size of a galleon, and cast a large shadow over the ridge as it blocked the sun. Coming out of this black ball was a maelstrom of weapons, seemingly the same ones that killed the masses below. And in the bottom right corner of the scroll, I saw the only color the artist had used. Three bloodstains, now dry and curdled, in the shape of three perfect circles in a straight line. This was drawn by a man who claims to be a survivor of the battle, said the queen. A man named Dinarthi. He came to us a couple weeks ago, clothes tattered, skin and bones ranting like a lunatic. He demanded to speak with me. He said he knew of a great danger coming to Exeter. He showed us that drawing and spoke of Widow's Ridge but he could not bring himself to describe what he had drawn. It keeps going on about black sun and living arrows. My guards were about to drive him out of town, and then he showed us this. The queen handed me a second scroll. This one looked to be quite a bit older than the others, perhaps centuries old. The material was something I could not name, like supple leather but with a cool, almost glass-like sheen. I opened it, and my jaw dropped. It was a blueprint, a near-pristine layout of a structure deep within the mountains. 
Alzerian ruin. The scroll was rife with text written in dusty Alzerian, and showed dozens of symbols that were incomprehensible to me. Quinn would fall over dead if she could see this, I thought. I looked to the queen. The madman had this on him? Queen Songwake nodded. There's more. In recent months, my intelligence at the eastern border has informed me that the Kikte of Azen Ra are showing signs of hostility. They are pushing against our borders, increasing their defenses, cutting off trade. Emperor Tashalan denies foul play, of course, but I am no fool. We are both aware that Roth is still weak from the Candlelight War. It was only a matter of time before someone smelled blood in the water. But what concerns me most is this. The third and final scroll. Vellum again, and fresh. I opened it and found an artist's color rendering of a Kikte woman in ceremonial silver armor. Long feathers of brilliant blue and red lined her brow, distracting from an otherwise severe face. She had a sharp jawline and calculating yellow eyes. A long, garish scar marred her right cheek. The feathers of her wings were tipped with sharp blades. Around her cuirass was a bandolier holding dozens of small glass beads banded by metal. Focus gems, I noted. But the detail that caught my eye, as Queen Songwake surely predicted, was a small tattoo on her left forefinger, just above the black claw on her fingertip. Three blood-red dots. They call her Star-Sired, said the Queen, a decorated general and the Emperor's right-hand woman. She is a silver sister, a warrior priestess of Aden, trained to fight frights and kindred. They are said to be the deadliest fighters in Exesar. Supposedly, there are only a handful of them left. And you think Star-Sired and Denarthi's account of Widow's Ridge are linked? I do not discount the possibility. Perhaps you will learn more talking to Denarthi. His experiences seem to have stunted his speech, but I hear the Ebon Mist has a way of speaking without words. I smiled evenly. I'll be happy to see what I can do, Your Grace. I am relieved to hear it, Mr. Van Der, said the Queen. One of her guards leaned over and whispered in her ear. The Queen sighed and waved him away. One more thing. A matter of such importance. I cannot entrust success to a lone agent, even one so capable as yourself. I arched an eyebrow. Now who's doubting whom, I thought. With all due respect, Your Grace, the Ebon Mist doesn't tend to play well with others. Nor do I, Von Der, I assure you. Nevertheless, these are desperate times. Roth has had its share of defenders in the past. Formidable men and women, albeit of varying moral character. They called themselves the Miraculous Four. I winced at the name. That was Tosca's old group. A band of mercenaries who once saved Mira from destruction at the hands of Maelstrom. Archaeologists turned terrorists once they discovered powerful Alzerian technology. 
It was said the four saw things that no mortal had seen since the Sundering. They disbanded shortly after, and no one has heard from them in the years since. The four, your grace. They're still active? Not quite. I arranged for you to meet one of them today. The others are somewhat reluctant to return to my service. Perhaps with one of their own on your side, you could persuade them to join your cause. Very well. Where is this miraculous one, then? My chest tightened. What if it's Tosca? I remembered Isolde's words the last time we spoke of her. I trust the next time you cross paths with someone like Tosca, you'll do the right thing. I was her bounty hunter now looking for kindred and frights to bring to justice. But it had been a long time since Tosca was soul-bound to a fright. Would I still be expected to kill her? Was I capable of that? The queen laughed and gestured to the stage. You're looking at him. As if on cue, Stormdreamer barreled through a wall of flame in Zulkin's great stomach. Like a comet, he streaked over the raving audience in a zigzagging pattern. With a flourishing loop, he landed directly on our balcony, his midnight-colored wings still singeing from the flames. I nearly doubled over in my chair as Stormdreamer extended a taloned leg and bowed deeply. Claude Von Der, Stormdreamer said, his voice like liquid steel. What an honor it is to finally meet me. Echoes of Exeser is written, produced, and performed by Nick Walker. Sound effects courtesy of GarageBand and Sword Coast Soundscapes on YouTube. Link in the description. The song in this episode was Pescatory de Pearl, Nupar de Derancora by Georges Desette. Link in the description. For questions or comments, email us at echoesofexeser at gmail.com. <laughs>